0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. AM
1: 1320, The Drive,
0: W-A-R-L, Attleboro, Providence. Sporting News Radio.
2: Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England
0: Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Revolution recap. We're
3: here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. We're doing the latest action of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer right here on AM 1320 The Drive, as well as over the internet at 1320thedrive.com. Uh, joining me today in the studio is Jim Dow of revnet.com, and we'll be joined a little bit later with Avery John, uh, defender for the New England Revolution and for the Trinidad and Tobago national team. Uh, two games this past week. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, good game for the Revs against the first-place Western Conference team, Dallas. Uh, the Rebs pulled off a one nothing win off of a goal by Taylor Twalman um, they started off well but certainly towards the end Dallas had several chances where they could have scored and uh it was just good to get the three points
0: well I think that you could say the same thing for yesterday too Um, you know we still are a a very battered and bruised uh, bunch Um, there's uh, what four or five players uh, major influential players still hurt and waiting to uh, you know come back and, and play and so I think there's seven games in, in 21 days. Is that right? Uh, yep. That's, that's a horrific. This was supposed to be MLS light, right, according to the commissioner. Uh, they were going to lay it back during the World Cup. I guess everybody else got to take a holiday, but the Revs certainly didn't. So uh, seven games in 21 days is just, is just ridiculous uh, at any time, and uh, particularly now with the, with the number of injuries. So I think it's a, it's a tribute to the team, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct. In the last eight games or nine games, they have four draws, uh, two wins, and a loss. Something something like that, which even though some of the draws have been kind of miracle uh, finishes and some of the wins have been, uh, shall we say, um, uneven, uh, the fact is that, that given the circumstances, I think they've done very, very, very well. And it's a, it's a tribute to the players and to, to the coaches.
3: Certainly in some of the games, it has been like they did enough to deserve a win. And were a little bit unlucky not to get the win. Uh, they had more chances than some of their opponents, especially in like the game against DC United, uh, where they got up to a, a lead there and ended up tying that. And there, there were other games as well against Chicago and the home opener. They did very well, and then three goals really against the run of Play, but they still managed to get the draw there. So it's a testament that they were able to come back in these difficult games and at least. Pull the point out, even uh, if they felt they deserved more.
0: I think the problem with breaks um, in soccer. Um, I'm going to quote Bill Parcells: <laughs> "You are what you are." Um, I think they tend to, to even out. I mean, look at the first goal uh, yesterday. The Revolution completely dominated play. They they were they were passing the ball uh, like uh, you know a, a World Cup team in the first uh, in the first 10 minutes of the game, and uh, the ball ricochets off Clint Dempsey when he turned in the wrong direction and goes and the goal those are the kind of uh, you know on the one hand you could say it's a lucky break on the other hand uh, you know it was uh, it was with the run of play so I think that I think that soccer is just a game where the, the longer that you play at the more that is to say the more times that that, that a team plays the more the tendencies that the team has comes out and eventually you do get what you deserve and right now what we're getting is well Dempsey's back and players are starting to trickle back so we're getting more offense uh, we certainly saw a lot of that last night um, and the question is will that will that be able to, to continue through the second half of the season we're almost to the to the halfway point I think we've got two more games to the halfway point maybe three Um, and uh, at that point everybody should be uh, more or less back well
3: the the one thing that's been uh, hurting the Revs this season is slow starts in the game but in the past two games I don't think we've seen that I think we've seen the exact opposite with the quick starts certainly against Dallas uh, when they played them earlier in the season they were down four to nothing by the 20th minute Uh, completely different game on Wednesday uh, in the 23rd minute they had the one nothing lead and they really were able to hold on to that went, they off to, if they got off to a slow start like they had been they could find themselves in an early lead and then they have to find themselves right. uh, struggling to get back into the game right. where these past two games we've seen them get come out of the gates uh, quickly and be the dominant team from the get go and that's put them in a position to make it easier for them to win the game
0: you know you really do wonder uh, at, at the level at, at which um, soccers played in the MLS which uh, you know people argue about what level it is but it's certainly seriously professional and and so forth you really wonder about these in, incredible mood swings uh, and, and performance swings but then you you start watching the World Cup which is supposedly the best teams in the world and you see the same thing so uh, it, whether it's in the water whether uh, when they get out to the center circle somebody says something to somebody. I, I don't know, uh, you know. It, but it is it is one of the fascinating things about soccer that they, that you know you can take the same eleven players or and 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 they can play three four five six weeks in a row and their their commitment you can't doubt their commitment you can't doubt their seriousness but yet the 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 intensity with which they play varies so dramatically even within a game as we saw yesterday. I mean, um, I was just rewatching the tape uh, of the first half and. And it, it's as if 20 minutes, just dro- at the 20-minute point, it just dropped out, and then suddenly came back at the in the last five minutes of the, of the half. How does that happen? I don't know. Uh, I guess if I did, I'd, I'd be coaching. Well, certainly,
3: I think some of it last night was that uh, wonder goal by Edson Buttle, which was really against the run of play because at that point they were dominating. It kind of took the wind out of the Revs' sails when that came. Uh, a, a great goal by Edson Buttle, but at the same time, some sloppy defending from oh. the Revs to allow that to happen.
0: Oh my God! I, you know, uh, I was in the fort watching the, watching it, so I, I didn't see how, in fact, bad uh, the uh, the re- the two revs players bit. Well, three, counting uh, uh, Matt Reese, bit for Buttle's fakes. But it was it was really something out of a uh, a highlight book on what what on the one hand to do and what on the other hand what not to do. Um, so it was it was a, it was a wonder. You know, I think it's I think it's wonderful for soccer. Uh, that goals like that get scored, and I actually was delighted to see it because it is the kind of goal that a fan uh, who isn't necessarily that knowledgeable about the game will say, "Oh my God, they can do that." Uh, whereas, of course, Steve Nichol went, "Oh my God, they shouldn't do that," or, "You know, how could they do that?" Uh, but I think that uh, I think that from the point of view of a spectacle, it's great. You know, three, the goal, all the goals last night were were really terrific goals to see, including even that first one. Absolutely, and uh,
3: then the later goal, Taylor Twoman right at the right before halftime, he had a chance. Of, uh, less than a minute before that, similar header uh, saved by Miola. This time, he he didn't miss it. It seems like he's getting back into form with uh, the two goals in the past two games, where it, earlier it kind of seemed like uh, he had, was going on a, sort of a long scoreless streak for him, which is rare, but. When, when he's on his game, he's the top scorer in the league, yeah. as we saw last year when he was MVP, so it's great to see him scoring again.
0: I think the difference is that is that Andy Dorman is rapidly becoming uh, the Steve Ralston of 2006. Um, if you look at the quality of the balls that he hits now, um, they are the quality of balls that Steve Ralston was hitting in 2002, 2003. For whatever reason, Ralston, Ralston can still hit the ball beautifully, but he can't get to the corners uh, in the same way that that, that he did back back in the day uh, and Dorman is beginning to supply that now and I, I have to say again rewatching watching the, the first half um, on the tape but also having seen it because it was at the end where I was standing for, for the game Dorman strikes the ball beautifully it's flat it's curving it's hard uh, you know you or I could get our head onto it and it would be a bullet because it's coming in in that, in that perfect way for a, for a player to either redirect it or to just slam it on the other side of things
3: uh, as you mentioned, Ralston has been playing left midfield now to make room for Dormer on the right side. Uh, Ralston getting forward, it seems he's almost afraid to use his left foot to cross it. He cuts it back almost every chance uh, he gets forward to cross it. In the past, we've seen him play on the left and get some good crosses in with his left foot. So why is the change happening where now he seems to be tentative and afraid to use his left foot?
0: Well, I hate to say it because uh, he's one of my very, very, very favorite players. He may, he may, in fact, just be, be slowing down. I think that there's something that, that most fans um, don't recognize about the difference between professional players and non-professional players, should we say. Non-professional players think they can do anything. Professional players know exactly what they can do and what they can't do. And I think Steve Ralston, who's a very, very intelligent guy, knows, at least at this point, what he can't do, and so he's not trying to, he's, he's trying to not put the team in any kind of risk in terms of losing balls, trying to go to somewhere where he actually can't Go. Um, so I think what we're seeing right now is, is uh, and I may be totally wrong in this, but I think what we're seeing right now is the metamorphosis of a guy who used to be able to beat everybody, now has to do it in a slightly different way. I think we might well see Steve Ralston um, more in the middle of the park at some point, or we might well see him uh, at the back. Um, he's certainly a terrific, still a terrific, terrific player, but I just don't think he can necessarily get to the byline, particularly on his offside, the way that he the way that he could, say, two years ago. And the
3: other player in the midfield, as you mentioned in the center, Steve Rossman, could be moving at some point, where he did play earlier in his career before he moved out to the wing, actually. Uh, Jeff Lerontowicz has stepped up uh, to fill in that role left by Daniel Hernandez when he's been out injured, and he came in as a defender. We've seen him play earlier in the year at... Left back, right wing, just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just done a really great job coming in after last year playing all of one minute. So it seems like he's another player Steve Nichols found that could do a great job for the team. And it's great to see a guy like him, who that's actually right here, went to Brown right in Providence, doing a great job for the team.
0: I think there's something um, that Nickel and Mariner um, don't get acknowledged enough credit, and Vinoli too, um, is the the way at which they they teach and develop players. Um, You know, fans make a big thing about the draft. Yes, we got these kids out of the draft, and we had a very successful one in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, many of these people, uh, it takes a year, two years, three years to develop them as as professional players. And I think in the environment that that Nickel and Mariner and Vanoli provide, these players do develop. Um, And now, um, with the addition of this Reserve League, which everybody kind of laughs at because, you know, the games are at odd times. Maybe 12 people show up. Uh, We're often playing, uh, you know, Greg Lawless and uh, a few uh, close friends uh, to fill in the gaps. The fact is the Reserve League is still worth its weight in gold because these guys are actually playing games. Um, they're not just practicing. And so I think that that's uh, the combination of those two, of Nickel and Mariner being excellent teachers and uh, of the, Reser- the Reserve League, means that players like Laurentowitz can season and, and perhaps uh, become uh, full-fledged uh, MLS uh, professional players.
3: And certainly if you watch the Reserve League games, the quality is very good quality, maybe better than you'd expect, it's not that far below the MLS standard of play, and you do see some stars of MLS who uh, may be out-suspended, as John Felipe Piero for Metro Stars actually played in the last reserve game. Uh, players like that and players who are coming back from injury, so they get experience against even guys like that in the reserve league. So it's a great opportunity that didn't exist a few years ago and maybe can help them now.
0: Well, and this is, this is only going to get better if um, there's a commitment to um, developing youth players. I think, um, and I don't know, if we have the time to talk about this, but I, I think the big, the big wrench that's coming now that Sunil Gulati is the head of uh, U.S. soccer is getting the control of soccer away from the people who have controlled it, uh, youth development who have controlled it uh, all these years, uh, and turning it into a much more professional Um, enterprise that's going to go down very hard with some of these club teams Um, they're um, with all due respect they many of them have been wonderful but they're also kind of uh, insular Um, and they don't really honor MLS they don't really pay that much attention to the to the professional game here they you know love to name themselves arsenal fc and all that kind of thing but the fact is that those people have to with again with all due respect they have to go and the development of youth players has to be taken over by the mls teams and perhaps by some of the a-league teams or or organizations like mass pro soccer um you know with the bradley brothers up in boston i think that's where the future of this of this game lies um i did a very, very interesting uh, interview with Jeff Laurentowitz a, a few ye- weeks ago, and I asked him, you know, you went to college, you went to a really good college, uh, did you sort of have a plan B if this doesn't quite work out? And he said, yes, uh, you know, we do. Um, if if professional soccer doesn't work out, well, the fact is most of the world the play, people who play professional sports don't have a plan B, and that kind of edge is, is is what we need here. We need professional the professional game to take over the development of youth players, and um, maybe maybe that will come. Maybe Galati will have the power and the clout to be able to to affect that. I certainly hope so.
3: Well, we've certainly seen some talk about that coming from the MLS front office as well with. Don Garber saying uh, every team to have youth teams by a certain date. Um, uh, some teams are starting to implement that with the MetroStars Stars have brought in a youth program, but at the same time, there's still issues with that where you see people going through the MetroStars youth program, they don't get the first rights for that player, they still have to go through the draft. and I think that's another issue that needs to be ironed out certainly with the league, that if they're going to be developing their own players, they should be able to get the first, Troy's at them.
0: Yeah, I think, if, if, I think there could be some kind of two-tiered, single-entity situation where, on the one hand, the players that are going through uh, the youth setup go directly to the teams um, that, that sponsor them, that develop them, whereas the acquisitions through the draft or through uh, international discoveries and so forth go through the league. I think that would be a fair way to do it. Then, then you have the situation, say you have an organization like the Crafts or an organization uh, like the Galaxy where um, there might be a local commitment to having a youth organization so those teams just for example might have very strong youth programs where another team the ownership might not be that interested they wouldn't have that strong a youth program Uh, that's okay you know that that's competition and it's a question of who's willing to put in more money to to really develop the team I think one of the problems we have in this country is that in developing professional soccer players is that soccer is seen as a way to get into college and uh, not necessarily as a way to get to the professional level. And that's the way it's seen in the club system, and I think that's got to go. Because we certainly have players that are, that, that are good enough to be good Professionals, if not outstanding professionals, if not, in a few cases, world-class professionals. But they really, really have to be pushed and they really, really have to be developed.
3: Well, certainly, as you mentioned earlier, it seems like a lot of these organizations are ignoring MLS and really focusing on maybe Europe. And it kind of seems like, whereas with football, baseball, uh, basketball, all those sports, the number one league is right here in America. The, the, the players see that day in and day out. Uh, a lot of the players here don't pay attention to MLS whatsoever. And and that, I think, is the issue where they don't aspire to join that league. And that's something that has to be changed where that becomes the focus rather than on the rest of the world's leagues.
0: I think that's a fair way to put it, although I will be a little bit brutal here. Um, These club teams are all looking towards Europe, but they aren't packing off a whole lot of kids to Europe. In fact, you could probably count the you know, on the num- fingers of two hands. Um, the fact is that the, that the best level of professional soccer in the United States is MLS. The best coaches are in MLS. The best players are in MLS. The best development system is M- in MLS. The best referees are in MLS. And, you know, there may, they may be flawed in relation to the best leagues in the world, but they're the best in this country and the fact is that there has to be somebody again Sunil Gulati may be that person there has to be somebody with enough clout and enough nerve to just say okay focus on this if if uh, a Clint Dempsey or whoever a Freddie Adu or whoever then gets bought up by uh, a European side a major European club or even a less than major European club fine but the fact is that the real focus should be on this country. Again, if people want to go off at the age of 16 or 17 years old, as uh, some some kids do, to Europe to to play or to try and play, that's fine too. But let's eliminate this kind of middle nerfy thing that doesn't really seem to do either any justice.
3: Well, I think they're starting to make the right effort there and keeping guys like Eddie Johnson and not selling at any offer. Um, willing to pay the extra amount of money to keep him here, and by showing that that they are willing to actually pay their better players more to keep them in this league, I think that's a step in the right direction. I also think it it may be a step in the right direction to have more of these friendlies like they're doing against the top competition, which can kind of draw the attention towards the league. There, where you see a lot more fans showing up for those games, and then the league shows they can compete in these games, and maybe that will bring uh, more attention to the league, and that is really a legitimate place to play.
0: Well, I think there. Uh, I, th- I would. I would give two answers to that. I would think, on the one hand, these friendlies are are all very nice. I think the Celtic friendly is coming at the worst possible time. You know, these guys have just played all these games. They're the last going to the need another Wednesday they, game. They, the yeah. last they need is another Wednesday game, and a Wednesday game that they're all going to be fired up for. I mean, it'd be impossible not to be fired up for it. But uh, you know, in in you know, in general, that's a good thing. But I think. Um, There's much more important fish to fry, and those are getting our teams into the Libertadores Cup and getting our national team into the South American Championship. And I think that if U.S. soccer and MLS do not do that, they do not have legitimate aspirations to try to be competitive because those are the two biggest tournaments in this part of the world, and I think you could... You could certainly argue that the South American Championship is every bit as intense and high quality as the European Championship, uh, you know, which will come in two years. The South American Championship comes next year. You can certainly say the Libertadores Cup is as big a deal as the Champions League because half the time the, cha- the Libertadores Cup wins you know, when they play the Champions League, winner, they win. Um, so the idea is, you know, you pack these guys off in, in in the middle of the season to go and play. Let's say the Revs, you know, for whatever reason, got into this pool. They go play Cruz Azul in Mexico City. They go play, uh, you know, um, Boca Juniors in La Bombonera. They go play, uh, you know, in Chile, in Uruguay. That's going to be the Best possible thing for these guys, and the same for the national team. You take this, whatever the national team is going to be after you know this this World Cup, whoever is going to be on it. You pack those guys off to to Latin America and you have them play these these high quality teams under difficult conditions. Best possible thing in the world. Um, I don't think we necessarily have to look to Europe. I think it's it, we're just as useful to look uh, to look south.
3: Well, certainly uh, part of the issue with that is aligning the schedule with the rest of the world and how most of the other nations play uh, with more of the winter schedule than the summer schedule, and an issue with that is a lot of these teams still are playing in football stadiums. Uh, there are new soccer-specific stadiums that seem to being built every year, and eventually it seems like that will be the reality, and then they'll be able to create their own schedules, but that's another issue. But at this point in time, you see the league making an effort to have a CONCACAF Champions League uh, against Mexican opponents and that will be a step in the right direction and maybe establish that if MLS teams compete with the Mexican teams that always do well in the South American competitions as well uh, gain respect for the MLS teams.
0: I think, I think that is a, is a much more um, important way to go exactly what you say the CONCACAF tournament and then ultimately uh, uh some sort of inter-tournament between uh the Mexican league which is the best run league outside of Europe in the world um, not necessarily the best league outside of Europe in the world but the best run financially organizationally and so forth uh, i think it i think that would be a very 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 good good step um, the friendlies are fine they they bring people into the stadium they may win a few fans i suspect the Revs will do just fine against celtic uh... you know I, I, I don't think there's a million light years between difference between celtic and the res. there's some difference of course but i don't think it's as big as people would like to like to believe but i do think that the real issue is getting these guys uh... high-level competition uh... year-round another thing that people ignore most of the European and Latin American soccer teams, high-level professional teams, get somewhere between two and four weeks off a year. The MLS teams get three months. That's not right. These guys should be with their team almost the entire year. Of course you want them to rest. Of course you want them to refresh themselves. But they could be playing in tournaments. They could be touring. They could be doing a whole lot more proactive and, unfortunately, expensive things than simply shutting shop for three months and maybe training in the bubble. Again, it's a question of ambition. It's, it's a question of, 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 of I think, I, I agree with you totally, it's a question of getting respect in, in the soccer world in general. And that's the way, I think, to get it, is, is to really introduce the, both the teams, the league, and the national team into a, a much, much more rigorous uh, pursuit of of soccer excellence by making it a year-round thing and certainly
3: we've seen what the league can do when it has a similar schedule to the other opponents when during a season when the champions cup actually originally was taking place during the mls season and we saw two mls teams win it los angeles galaxy of course those years it was also taking place in the u.s and it's certainly a different format. But we did see the Los Angeles Galaxy win it. We saw DC United win it. And then DC United went on to beat the South American champions in the Inter-American Cup. Uh, Since then, they've changed the format, uh, not during the MLS season. No MLS team has won it. Uh, So certainly shows that that makes a huge difference playing it in the season. And that's an issue there with if if you only have the two or five weeks off, uh, you're a lot less going to be out of form than going for three months and then all of a sudden having to jump in this competition without having really enough practice. Whereas we saw with the Revs, they went to Bermuda. Uh, they played maybe three games uh, against really weak opposition before entering the Champions Cup, and that
0: didn't work. No, it, uh, it didn't work. And actually, to, to buttress your argument, uh, here we are, we're in the very latter stages of the World Cup. Um, uh, where's the World Cup being played? It's being played in Germany. Who are all the teams left in the World Cup? European teams. I mean, again, you, you don't, it, it can't be the water. But there is something to that, and and so so for people who poo-poo the idea that DC and uh, the Galaxy won those titles playing in the United States, well, don't forget some, but some European team's going to win the World Cup playing in Europe. Uh, I'm not so sure that same team would necessarily win the World Cup playing in South Africa, win the World Cup played in uh, you know in Japan or Korea. Or played uh, in Mexico, so I think there is a lot to be said for home cooking. Uh, however, you figure out the, what home cooking in soccer really is. But I agree with you. I think that, that it that it would be uh, really really advantageous to, to have this uh, to have this competitive edge year around and to have it in season rather than rather than having to sort of. I mean, it must be frustrating for Nickel and Mariner to essentially have to pick up the pieces every year. Uh, you know, sort of go back to square one with these guys um, when they're 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 gone for for two months. Well, it's also tough uh, with the
3: schedule the way it is now. Just about every Revs game, there's a Red Sox game going on. We all know how popular the Red Sox are in this area, and you have that kind of conflict where, as if they did change schedules, then it wouldn't be that issue anymore as well.
0: Well, you know, I I, I suppose I I don't think there's a whole lot of I think the revs could play any time of year. I mean, I don't want them to be playing in February, <laughs> freezing February. But I think every 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 time of year they're going to be in competition with um, you know with one or more of the established teams. And I and I really don't think, you know, I have plenty of friends of mine who who go who are. Religious red sox fans and and they see me coming down the pike, and they say, Well, well you know how did the revs do last night? I think they can coexist. I think the revs can draw you know twenty thousand people and the, and uh, there were uh, there were many instances um, in, the, in the early days of the Revs when the Revs and the Red Sox would be playing at the same time, and, and the Revs would have 20,000 people in the stands, and the Red Sox would have the usual 35,000. Um, I think there, there are a lot of reasons why the Revs' attendance is, is not where we would all like it to be. But I think one of the reasons the Revs' attendance is what it is is that every single person who's in that building is paying. Whereas back in the day, they were getting free tickets from Dunkin' Donuts. Um, You know that those 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 attendances were inflated in not a dishonest way at all because the tickets were being bought by sponsors, but they really weren't being bought by people who you know were plunking the money down directly to come into the stadium. And I think this uh, you know 10 or 12,000 people that come regularly, um, you know that's the base to build on, and how that's built on. You know that we could talk about that for hours, but that's really the base to build on.
3: Well, with the Don Garber and the league coming out and stating, talking about a soccer-specific stadium for the Revolution, is that a step in the right direction? Um, certainly, it, the atmosphere would be a lot better having it like that. But will that bring out more crowds, seeing the atmosphere change like that? And we've seen with the Galaxy uh, since building their stadium, their their attendance has risen and. It almost, they almost not sell out a lot of the games, and it certainly looks a lot better to see the team that's selling out a 20,000-seat stadium or, or whatever than saying that they're selling 20,000 seats in a 60,000-seat
0: stadium. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so torn. Um, I actually like the new stadium, uh, the, the the stadium at Foxborough, because the sight lines are very good, and I think that... Um, It's it's interesting because I I always go to the fort. And sometimes when I bring friends of mine who don't want to yell and scream and and get beaten over the head, um, I sit up at the top. The view up there is spectacular. Yeah, you're at the end, so you're seeing a different... Uh, perspective than than people are used to but you're seeing an amazing view when you go down to the bottom in in the fort you trade the the quality of the view for an atmosphere that's as intense as as pretty much any soccer game I've ever been to and I've been to games in Buenos Aires, Argentina, I've been to games in London I've been to games in Portugal, I've been to games in Mexico the fact is there may only be 100, 200, 500 people down there screaming their heads off but the atmosphere is great and I would say you take anybody uh, in that stadium and bring them down there. They don't want that view necessarily. They don't want to stand necessarily. They'll, they'll sample atmosphere that's fabulous. And what I think is really interesting now is that that's becoming a kind of a, a calling card. I noticed that ESPN, in their national broadcast, now mics. The Fort, very, very heavily. I noticed that the revs broadcast now Mike the Fort much more than they do. Now, they certainly must have a hand on the dial for some of the things that get said, which are, by the way, wonderful. Um, but I, I think everybody's beginning to understand that that's a good thing not a bunch of crazy rowdies that sort of get in the way of the SUV experience. So I think that that that, that can be that can be built on. Yes, of course it would be much better in a in a 20 25,000 seat stadium with with a uh, with roofs that hold the sound in. Um, but Shy of that, I think, I think Foxborough Stadium or Gillette or whatever it is is, is, is actually a really nice place to go see a soccer game. I love the pavilions that you can walk around. The prices are terrible. But, you know, there's, there's a, it's, a, it's a very, very good place to go to a game. Much, much better, excuse me for saying it, than Fenway Park much much better than the fleet center much much better than pretty much any other facility that that exists in in the area Um, and in an interesting way in a, a much more sort of human scale than say giant stadium i don't know if you've been to the meadowlands but that's that's a terrible place or kansas city so as the big stadiums go i think it's 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 better i think also they've and I don't know this, this is is just anecdotal evidence, they seem to have cut back on those annoying advertisements, the flashing lights and all that stuff, that in the first two years of the stadium was really horrible, really ruined the game. There seems to be less of that. And so, so I don't think it's such a bad experience. And in fact, if you go back two weeks to the D.C. game, where there was a crowd of 16, 17, 18,000. Or you go back to the playoff game against Chicago last year where there were 18,000 people. That place was rocking. And, you know, we don't... It would be nice to get our own stadium, but uh, I would much rather play in the Libertadores Cup. If if you're going to spend money, spend money buying our way into the Libertadores Cup. Well, the other issue
3: that uh, Gillette doesn't have that some of the other stadiums do have is they were built... Uh, really before without soccer in mind where with Foxborough stadium that was built without soccer in mind the field wasn't as wide and now the stadium was built so they can have the field as wide as they need to be Uh, the stadium is built so it's fine for soccer the lower bowl is perfect it would be nice if they could get more tenants to fill that but uh, the other stadiums have issues like that where they're not meant for soccer and also the issue of ownership where uh, such as the Red Bulls they don't own uh, giant stadium so they have issues with scheduling there, too. So I think kind of a unique situation more with the Revs than compared to the other teams.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing that, that we need to look at here is um, if you, you know, we have the press guide here. And if you look at the press guide and you look through um, the page that says who the team officials are, uh, they're all soccer people and uh, with obviously the exception of, of the Crafts themselves. But Jonathan Kraft is, uh, has been a very, very quick learner, and um, I was tremendously impressed with what he had to say uh, a few weeks ago in his, his radio interview uh, about, about the team. Um, but I think that there's a, there's a very solid management group there, and they are all soccer people. Um, the the sort of division of labor between the Patriots and, and the revolution that was taking place, uh, say, when the stadium was first, the new stadium was first opened. That seems to be less of an issue now, and so I think there's there's just a, a more of a focus, and I think in in long term that's gonna that's gonna pay off. I don't know when the attendance will start to go back up, but but I think uh, if the team continues to be relatively successful, uh, it it should. The team gets a By comparison to other teams in MLS, the team gets a great deal of coverage. And they also have, you know, you you know as well as I do going to the press conferences and stuff. There's some very good writers covering the revolution Frank DeLapa, Andrew Hush. Mike Biglin, uh, just to name three, uh, Don Cuddy, et etc., et cetera. These are people who really know soccer and are really devoted to it and write well about it. Um, they're not, uh, you know, you, you open the papers in other parts of the country and read about MLS teams, and they've got the fourth-string flunky writing uh, about, the, about the game. This is, this is a much more serious approach. Um, the television broadcasts are, are quite good. Um, again, we're the only team that all our games are televised. Um, the the level of, of camera work at Foxborough is excellent. It's the away games that are kind of dodgy, but uh, the you know I, th- I think it's I think it's a well run well run organization, and I think eventually that that's going to return in terms of in terms of bums in the seats.
3: I think that's an, another great point you brought up that uh, kind of goes. people take for granted is the TV broadcast. Uh, A team like D.C. that's so successful, uh, their game against Kansas City you couldn't even see on TV. Uh, It's amazing that the Revs, I believe, are the only team that's had every single season all games broadcast. It's a great thing that the team does. I know they put their own money into getting that done uh, for part of it, so it's a great thing that they do that. So, really, what is the difference between, say, the Revs and the Galaxy as far as bring in the attendance.
0: Well, I think there is one thing that, that people do argue, that, uh, that they maybe they shouldn't televise their home games. I think it, I think it certainly uh, it costs them a certain number of people per game uh, because they know they can, get, they can sit at home and, and watch it. You know, there is this thing, okay, Foxborough Stadium is 40 miles away from wherever. Uh, if you put it downtown, then it's 40 miles away from a whole lot of suburbs, and, and a significant part of the Revolution base is, is suburban-based. Uh, I think the answer is some kind of public transportation. Um, you know, there is that rail spur, um, maybe commuter rail to the to the stadium some way to, to latch on to the uh, the 20-something crowd in Boston that uh, that it, it is true that if a stadium was in Boston that place would rock with college kids I don't know if you you went to the games in the very very early days when they used to let in the BC band uh, into the fort but they would fill up uh, that entire fort with uh, with college kids most of whom had no idea what was going on they were just drunk as skunks and screaming but it was great atmosphere. Um, the difference now is that is that the atmosphere, what it, what atmosphere exists at the Revs games, is soccer-specific atmosphere. It's being provided by people who are real fans.
3: Well, we see with a team like Colorado who also has a giant stadium that they have some events that kind of bring the attention, uh, bring the fans out, like as the Revs will be playing in the 4th right. of July game, they right. always almost sell out, get 60,000 plus crowds like that. Um, maybe some of those will Watch the game and stay over. I think I think they do have the advantage of something like that. Uh, really, here it's more difficult to find something like that that would bring up the fans because fireworks are more common. Like, What, what is there any event like that that might bring out the fans more and, and well, grab to, their attention to, to and to keep go, them?
0: To go to the to go to the circle, I think it is. It's it's Celtic and it's uh, Benfica and it's. Uh, I think there. I think one of the problems with bringing the these very very um, prominent teams in. Is that the bulk of the people who show up are fanatics about Celtic or fanatics about Benfica, and that's their football team. And you know, if you check if you check the IDs at the gate, I bet on the 18th when Celtic's here, uh, half the people in the stands will not be from Metro Boston. They'll be from as far away as uh, you know Pennsylvania or D- or DC. Um, so I think that 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 there is a kind of a, a misnomer there. Whereas fireworks, probably the people who come to fireworks are all people, you know, in the local area. But you're absolutely right. Fireworks here are a dime a dozen. You're going to compete with the pops, <laughs> you know, have a fireworks game, um, you know. So the special, I, I think it's, I think I'll be blunt. I think it's much harder to have a special event in a sophisticated place. Than it is in in a, in a place where there there are less options, so I think that 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 the revs have a tough sell they really have to sell soccer as opposed to soccer and hot dogs, you know, buck brat soccer and fireworks, soccer and the Rolling Stones. Are, I, I don't think that works here. Um, I, think they, I, think it's, I think the build-up is going to have to be gradual. And I think the, the interesting and in, encouraging part is, you know, again, what Jonathan Kraft had to say, that it's pretty obvious that they're not interested in pulling the plug. And it's pretty obvious that they know that they have long term a, a good thing, a good thing for their organization, a good thing for their their building. Um, so they're, I, I think they're pretty committed, and um, that that's good.
3: Well, would would winning a championship bring the attention to the revs more? That's a great question.
0: I mean, they almost won a championship. Uh, Winston Griffith's ball hit the post, right? I think that
3: was uh, another unfortunate thing there. Uh, they brought out the 60,000 fans for that game to watch them in the championship. And then, really, the team then was not playing as entertaining soccer oh. as they are today. Certainly, it looked like in that days they were playing not to lose rather than to win, and they weren't playing an attacking brand of soccer. So I think that was an opportunity there that they kind of missed out, kind of came with the wrong time for the team to have the cup then, and that year being the one they make it.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think the thing is that uh, you can't, base anything as ephemeral as success in a sports venture on a single game or a single situation. It has to be a long-term building thing. Um, I, I was talking to a colleague of mine um, who said to me, you know, I started getting interested in soccer because somebody took me to the revolution. Uh, you know, in other words, it's it, it sort of a, a fan version of Michael Parkhurst. Um, that's what it's going to take, and that's going to take years. Um, you know, a generation in soccer, maybe, in terms of players, is, is four or five years, but a generation in terms of fans is a lot longer. And so I think what's, what's, what's happening now is you're starting to get people coming to the games who, who grew up with that and that 's that you know that 's their entry into professional soccer, and they weren 't necessarily you know glued to the tube watching Arsenal every Saturday or whatever and those people are going to beget more people are going to beget more people I bring I have a sort of uh, core of friends that I that I come to the games with, somewhere between two and, and seven or eight people for most games. Right now I'm coming by myself because my son's away in Argentina, but for the most part I, I bring you know I come with a bunch of people, and those people are from all over the world, and they love it. And universally they say, this is much, much better than I ever thought it was. This, the quality of the game is much better. The atmosphere is much better. The situation is much better. And it's without a lot of the hassles. You're not going to get shot. You're not going to get stabbed. And you're not going to get beat up in the parking lot.
3: Well, speaking of that uh, area where the people that do are fans of soccer but aren't necessarily fans of the Revs, uh, getting them out to the games, We've heard talk about a Beckham rule to bring in a big-name player per club. Would that work to that extent, or would that be another idea that might be bad for the league and create more situations like the New York Cosmos that really cause the league to use up too much money and shut down?
0: I don't think bringing in those level of players, um, well, I don't know. I, I, you're talking to the wrong person because I think it's a really dumb idea. Um, I think we have a little football team, gridiron football team up the road that doesn't do that, and they've been the most successful team you know, in the NFL in the last, uh, what, four or five years. It's much better to bring in three good players than one maybe great player, it seems to me. Um, I would much rather see... Uh, two or three really high-quality players per team coming in. Players, uh, this is going to get me into trouble, Amado Gravara, who has a lot of problems. You watch that guy when he's playing well and concentrating. He's a great player. Or Carlos Ruiz. He's a great player. Um, you know, these are the kind of guys that, if you have three or four of them on the team, not necessarily scorers, not necessarily Samuel Caballero uh, before his knees went, a great player, the, the, the uh, Honduran player for, um, for Chicago. Those are the kind of players who, who we need. Beckham, fine. He's going to sell tickets once, uh, maybe twice. That's it. I'd much rather have the league put money into 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 good players, a few good players, rather than one quote great player, except it in a special circumstance. And gosh, isn't it interesting? The the guy who is supposed to be the the, the absolute antithesis th- to uh, Lothar Mateos, Yuri Jorkaev, was seen watching a World Cup game yesterday while his Red Bulls were playing.
3: Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. Uh, they don't want to bring over more players like that who don't take the league uh, seriously. See, he seemed to be one who did last year. I think he, he has some issues with the current management. But at the same time, they got to take the league more seriously than that and show up for their team for every game unless they have a real problem. Um, I think, as you mentioned, players like. Ruiz Guevara, that's the market they need to focus on is more the Central American market where there's some great players to come out of there and become like the Destination, the Destination League um, for players like that and r- focus their attention on great young players like that that they can develop uh, rather than the aging players that are on the downside of their career.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is if you, if, you, if you take a player, uh, say like a, a Ruiz uh, or a Guevara who is uh, young, Say in their in their late teens or early twenties, you bring them up here and expose them to Steve Nichol and Paul Mariner. Once they figure out how to understand each other, because of the language difference. There'll be there'll be an enormous amount of progress for everybody. Uh, so I think that's really that's really the direction. I think it, it's fine to but to 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 bring in players. John Spencer was a good example. Bring in a player who is just absolutely uh, all guts and brains to the wall, uh, committed to playing as hard and as well as he possibly can, and bringing out as much of his teammates as he possibly can those are the kind of players to to bring in Um, and I think and I think there are players around that uh, there are always will be players around who who'll be interested in doing that, who'll be interested in coming to this country, who'll be interested uh, for for whatever different reasons. I think buying David Beckham is 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 just ridiculous. And buying Ronaldo is ridiculous. You know, they're great players, uh, but uh, again, I think we really need a, a sounder investment practices than that.
3: Well, of course, with Beckham, one day he says he wants to be the. The future of U.S. soccer. Bring all fans. The next day, he's talking about wanting to stay at Real Madrid for to end his career there. So, uh, I don't think that's the type of commitment you want from a player that you're going to be paying all the money to bring into the league. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I think uh, you know, and and we saw that. Yes, he he hit two lovely, uh, swerving balls uh, that were uh, that became goals. But the most interesting thing he did in the World Cup was throw up.
3: <laughs> well, his play is certainly gone down on the downside of his career you can see from his World Cup performance not able to run uh, at least it seemed to me in the full 90 minutes uh, the way he used to be capable of so as you said better focus on the the players uh, the younger players that are rising stars Uh, you see some of them going to Europe like David Suazo from Honduras doing well in Italy Uh, if the MLS could bring in someone like that uh, before they choose Italy or Europe try to develop them here that would be a great way to get the league going because certainly the European market not nowhere in the foreseeable future are they going to be the, the team the league for that
0: well I think that um, first of all we're, we're in a kind of a, a, a immediate post World Cup blues um, which we're all kind of oh maybe we aren't as good as we were but let's, let's, let's stop for a second okay so there were 32 teams in the World Cup The U.S. was not the 32nd team like it was last time. Uh, We could sit here and argue for a long time about what it was, but uh, I think it's it's fair to say that the U.S. is somewhere between 20 and 25 in the world. It was 20 and 25 in the world before. It was number 20 and 25 in the world in 2002. Um, The difference is that the younger players now are better than they were four years ago, are better than they were... Eight years ago, or 16 years ago, or 20 years ago, and so the team, you know, the 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 level of play is simply getting better and better and better here. Uh, We could have a a long discussion about what happened in the World Cup, um, but I think that uh, we didn't see the team at its best, and we didn't see the players allowed to play at their best.
3: Well, uh, we have about 10 minutes left, yeah. So going back to the the Revs game uh, on last Saturday. Uh, We talked about Dorman earlier and his emergence as a great player. Um, I think he was surprised as anyone about that first goal for the Revs. And we have a soundbite from him that we can play now.
1: Great. Uh, it's just one of them. Doesn't matter how you play as long as you get the results, really. And uh, we took the three points tonight, uh, which is obviously it's nice to get two wins on the bounce. And hopefully we can get a run going now because uh, we tied a lot of games before that. So three points in the bag, and uh, I guess just forget about that. Patches in the game. First half, early on, I think you would getting a lot of space out on the right yourself, and then I kind of went away a little bit. Did they did they do better against you? Do you think later on? I mean, what were you doing early on in that game? Um, we were playing, you know, fast, quick passes um, and looking wide. Whether or not it was just we weren't moving the ball, quick enough after the first 20, 25 minutes, or they, you know, they blocked it off, I don't know. Um, but uh, I mean, all credit to them, they, they stopped us playing um, after that. You know, the start, I, I think we could have been a couple of goals up, uh, but um, you know, obviously we weren't. They got back in the game. Um, uh, no, three, wins, three yeah. wins, so. Earlier on in the season, you might have been picked back in that game and come up with either a tie or maybe even a loss. I mean, do you think anything in particular has changed? Do the guys have any more self-belief now to go on and keep coming back and getting the lead? I guess, yeah, maybe. I think it's more like the ball's kind of bouncing for us. You know, um, obviously getting Clint Navy back is a big boost as well, and you know, being able to bring good players on like Kyle, you know, um, that gives a team a lift when we're you know down and tired towards the end of the game. Whereas before we kind of only really had. Like you know, real young inexperienced experienced players uh, to bring on, and you know it's you know it's not fair on them to, to come on in that sort of situation. Um, but. So yeah, definitely Clint and Avery giving us a lift. So we've just got to keep winning. Talking about Clint, um, how much of a boost is that for you midfield guys to be able to play the ball forward and know that when he gets up there, it's not just Taylor there, but him as well to make things happen. Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, it helps out for for everyone. I'm sure Taylor's, you know, appreciates having somebody up there with him to, you know, to do the, the hard work. Um, we certainly do in midfield. What about our like, first goal? I don't know. It's nice when it goes in for you, but it's obviously terrible when it goes in against you. Um, I don't know, that's a bit of luck we need, you know? We, we haven't been getting them the, the, the weeks before, so I'll we'll take it. That's kind of the bounce you're talking about. Yeah, you know, they, sometimes they fall for you, sometimes they don't. And luckily for us, they, they did today. So.
3: That was Andy Dormer on last night's game. Uh, had the assist on Taylor Twelman's goal that put them in the lead right before halftime. But the real hero of the night was Clint Dempsey coming back from the World Cup. He had the assist on Wednesday. Uh, scored an early goal in this game. I think will probably be uh, the easiest goal of his career. Just had to stand there as the, the clearance was deflected off of him. And but he also scored the game winner, which is an excellent uh, solo move. There, stole the ball, ran into the box, and an excellent left-footed shot to the far post. And we have his comments from last night's game. We can play for you now.
4: Tim, were you uh, your first goal? Were you surprised as anybody? Yes, yeah. yeah, so that's why I was. You know, I was doing that. Um, uh, that's what happens. you be you, in the right place sometimes. Uh, good things happen. Now that just trying to throw my body in there and crash the box, I think it, it caused the defender to get a little scared and want to clear quicker than normal, and he, and he cleared it off my leg. Could you talk about what the teammates to do to get a result in Colorado? Uh, it's always tough when you go to Colorado because of the altitude. Uh, we just need to make sure that we, we keep ourselves in the game. Um, you know, first half, don't don't go down, and, uh, you know, see what happens second half. Definitely don't want to, you know, go behind, uh, you know, try to chase the game there. Uh, we want to on a state level, and uh, we'll take it from there. Usually, they get a huge crowd out there for the 4th of July match. No. You talk about how uh, your World Cup experience kind of uh, maybe even dwarfs uh, yeah. that experience. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really I'm comfortable in situations where there's a lot of people because you realize it's just a game. Uh, you just got to go out there and play against the people. You're not, that's on the field, you're not playing against people who are in the stands. And uh, you just got to use that as motivation to make you work harder if they're sharing for you or against you. So, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think all the people there are really going to know, you know, what's going on because I don't think all of them are 100% soccer fans. I think there's a, there's a portion of them uh, that are just going to see the fireworks. So, uh, you know, we just got to take that to our advantage. But uh, it's always cool. Yeah, I, think, I think everybody just gets up for games where, you know, uh, you know a lot of people are, are in the stands. It just creates a better atmosphere, and that's always fun to play in, no matter, you know, who, what player you ask.
3: And that was Clint Dempsey on last night's game and his goal in the upcoming game against Colorado, big 4th of July game. Uh, Always tons of fans show up for that, and Colorado always puts in a good performance. Uh, But Steve Nichol, you have his comments on last night's game, and uh, I I don't think he was completely happy with the performance. I think he felt they put themselves in a position where they should have gotten off to a big lead, and they put themselves in a position where they kind of had to uh, bunker in the end of the game and, and kind of fight to save that result. And we can play his comments.
2: But by the end of the game, through some mistakes of ours and some bad decisions, we, en- we end up having to hang on. Um, but we've got three points, and we can't complain of that. The threat that he brings, uh, he it at the, on the second goal. He just wants to score goals, you know, he wants to play, he wants to take people on, and he's got a, a hunger for the game um, that, that just makes him go that extra yard when it's needed and, and, and beats defenders. I'm sorry, I'm sorry the goals you shipped tonight? Yeah, we were just lethargic at times, you know. I mean, I guess I guess we can be overcritical, but, you know, we've spoken about the schedule before, and, you know, we really looked heavy-legged with Petey's in the game today without a shadow of doubt, you know, which contributed to the, to the goals. You know, I think three people missed tackles on, on the first goal, and we really just stood watching the second one. So we're not not well, carried away with that. But we still finish with one more goal than them and to get three points, that's what you have to do. Are on the bench tonight. Anybody else can uh, Not sure, man. Danny Hernandez is, is starting to do more. Uh, Joe Francino starting to do more running. So we're hopeful next couple of weeks we might get those two. Uh, Pat and Uh, Again, hopefully in the next couple of days, we'll see how he is, and maybe get him back in a couple of weeks as well. Have you noticed an increased confidence in Clint's game since he came back from the World Cup? He seems like he's a little bit of a different player. I don't think his confidence can be increased too much. You know, he was pretty confident before he left. Uh, I think just a wee bit more experience and, you know, playing amongst the, 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 you know, the world's top players, You, you see things and. People when you're playing against them, things happen to you that you think, no. So I think he's learned. Confidence-wise, I don't think it's gone any way. I don't think it could be any better than it is. Uh, but he's, he's certainly he's certainly using what he's learned uh, since he's come back.
3: And that was Revolution head coach Steve Nichol on last night's game. Uh, the two wins last week put the Revs into second place. Uh, big gap between them and D.C., 14 points uh, with the game in hand. but The Revs have a game in hand, but it uh, seems like that's probably... A little out of their reach at this point, unless DC goes on a big losing streak. But second place is a good place to be, in considering all their injuries and everyone they had lost for the World Cup.
0: Oh, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I think, and, and I think that should be their target. And if anything happens with DC, great. But I think second place is a really reasonable target, and I think they should, I think they should push, and I think they should just keep keep at it.
3: And it shows how close the standings are that uh, they were in fourth to begin the week. Now they moved up to second. Uh, but we got to wrap things up here, and before I let you go. Uh, where can people see where can people see your writing? And can you tell us about RevsNet?
0: Well, RevsNet is a is a website uh, that's devoted to the New England Revolution. Um, it's part of Match Night, which is a national um, set of websites that are devoted to all the various MLS teams. And uh, just go to RevsNet.com or Match Night, and uh, you'll find it. And there's uh, more writing about soccer than uh, you could possibly uh, read in uh, half a day. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank Jim a lot for joining us today, and uh, thank all the
3: listeners for joining in. Um, we got to wrap things up. Uh, we're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. right here on AM 1320 The Drive. Uh, you can get archives at revolutionrecap.com. Uh, make sure to check out revsnet.com. And I'd like to thank my board operator. Hey, would you pop me up? <laughs> Beautiful